Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing. And for, I think, the first time ever, some of you might be seeing me twice in one day because we have not one but two amazing guests today. Uh, at 10 o'clock this morning, we had Walt Hampton. But now we have our, our headliner, Allison Williams. I believe everybody who knows me knows Allison. But if not, um, Allison is awesome. And I am so glad that you're here to get to know her. She's the owner of not one, but two successful companies. Uh, first, as the founder of the Williams Law Group, a full-service family law firm located in northern New Jersey. After taking Williams Law Group from a startup to a multi-million dollar business in three and a half years, she created a second business, the Law Firm Mentor, where she and her team provide business coaching services for solo and small firm attorneys, helping them grow their revenues, crush chaos in business, and make more money. Law Firm Mentor is a national company born out of her success in business, including winning the Law Firm 500 Award, ranking 14th as the fastest growing law firm in the nation, being named a Stevie Award finalist for female entrepreneurs in 2017 and 2018, being voted as New Jersey business's top 50 women in business, and designated one of the top 25 leading women entrepreneurs and business owners. The law firm, the motto of Law Firm Mentor is never stop growing. And even that intro, I think, undersells Miss Williams because she is, she was and is literally like the go-to when it comes to so many of the different things in family law, especially when it involves, unfortunately, any you know abuse or anything along those lines. Like you literally helped write the book on this for Jersey, right? <laughs> Uh, that's an interesting way of putting it. And uh, I just want to apologize that we seem to have the wrong uh, video for me showing. So for some reason, I'm having a whole bunch of technical difficulties that didn't exist before we got started. So uh -oh. pardon us uh, moving around a little bit. But yes, I, uh, I don't want to say I wrote the book for Jersey. I will say that I help lawyers all across the country to crush chaos in their law firms and make more money. And that is very much my aim in law firm mentor. So I'm excited to be here with you to talk about that topic. I am excited to have you. So before we get into this crushing chaos, which is for every law firm business owner, the ultimate motto, the ultimate phrasing here, because I think we get stuck in those cycles. I do want to talk about our two previous episodes. Um, last week, at the end of the week, we had Molly McGrath on, who talked about seven ways to empower your employees and build leadership. That was our first episode that dealt with the hiring process. And I know that that's something that a lot of law firm owners struggle with. So we've got that one. And then this morning we had Walt Hampton talking about secrets to building the work and life that you love. That was at 10 o'clock today. So after you're done hearing the amazing insight from the law firm mentor, um, you can watch those previous episodes. But enough about that. I want to dive into how we make more money and expand our time by crushing chaos in our law firms. All right, let's get, let's dive in. So where, wh what makes the most sense to start? Um, well, you know, I think Jordan, what we should probably dive into is, is what is chaos as a, as a definition, right? So a lot of times when people ask me, you know, what does it mean to crush chaos? Does that mean I have to be working 90 hours a week? Does that mean that I have to have no systems? And I think it's a combination really of a few things. And the way that the way that I like to define what is uh, the actual crushing of chaos is 
Chaos is any system that isn't an organized system. In other words, it is combustion of activity in lots of different areas, right? So it typically means that you don't have everything in your business dialed in to the point where it's repeatable, where it's consistent, where it's recurring, where you ultimately have everything at a place where if something goes wrong, you can immediately say, ah, let me go to the system, check where it is, and be able to refine it. And that's not just about the system of getting your work done orderly. That's about the system of your marketing. It's about the system of your sales process, which in a law firm is referred to as intake and consultations. It's about the system of your people. Are your people performing where they should be? Is that a management issue or a leadership issue or even a talent issue? Have you scouted the right people? Do you have them in the right role? So all of those different pieces, if you don't have all of them dialed in very systematically, and what happens is any ripple in one area is going to have an adverse effect and go into another area. And it's going to typically give you a consequence that you don't desire. And that more often than not affects your profit and it affects your time. The two things that lawyers always want more of, they want more money and, and they want more free time. So, and it's interesting because I know, you know, in the past we've had that discussion of like the difference between art and science. And like the more that you have these repeatable systems for everything, the more you can pull a couple levers and see how that impacts everything else, the more that you're, you know, uh, being controlled by the chaos, the harder it is for you to figure out what to change to get out of the spiral. Yeah. So, you know, the, the spiral is an interesting thing because I think the spiral often comes about because people don't have an understanding, like they, they have an understanding of minute problems. So somebody will say, I need to hire a person, right? And if you could just help me to hire a person, I'll be okay. Or I need to um, I need to increase my leads. So if you could just teach me how to market and get better leads, I'll 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 have everything you know fixed. But the problem is, as soon as you change anything in an ecosystem, it changes something else. And so what tends to happen is, great, you turn on your marketing, your marketing is fabulous, but now you have all these people that you can't convert because you don't know how to sell. So now you're spending a lot more time and not actually servicing the clients that you have, or you turn on your sales system. So great, you're converting people left, right, and sideways, but you don't have capacity to handle all of those new clients. So you're either going to have to work significantly harder or you're going to have to team up. And if you don't know how to team up until you actually have to team up, you tend to get desperate and hire the first warm body that walks in that says they're able to do the job. And that causes its own series of friction. So there's a lot of planning that goes into the process of developing a well-run business. And it always starts at what the, uh, what the end goal is. And far too many lawyers neglect that and start with, what do I need to do today to get me out of distress today? Rather than what do I need to do in order to create what I want? So that ultimately the distress goes away, but it goes away in a, in a direction of creating something I, I actually want to live with. The amount of time I want to spend working and the amount of money I want to make. So I want to see if we agree or disagree on this. I have found that the that the law firm owners that tend to be in the most chaos or the most distress do actually have a pretty consistent stream of cases. They just don't know where those came from. They don't know how to close them consistently. They don't know how to handle the work. The, the owners that really have no cases I see like don't really have enough problems to put themselves in that true chaos. Have you seen that to be the same or have you had a different experience? So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, there definitely are people that are in chaos that have too much work, right? So they, they have money, but they don't have organization. They don't have structure around the work that they're doing. Efficient way of getting the work done. So typically when you see that type of problem, that's someone who, you know, 
and lots of lawyers have this, especially especially as type A, big ego type lawyers, right? That nobody can do it better except me, right? I'm the best that there is, so it has to be me. Or even lawyers that will say, I may not be the best, but my clients want me. So somebody was referred here to me. There's no possible way that I can have someone else do the work because they haven't learned the communications process, the work process, the overflow, et cetera, in order to have that be done. So there is a lot of chaos there. But on the flip side, there are probably, I'd say, an equal number of people that are in chaos when they don't have enough work. So what they start doing is they start trying to uh, pitch hit with their marketing, right? I will I will immediately go out and meet with 25 different people to network in order to generate clients, not having a system for how to ask for the business, how to make sure that there's a funnel to consistently follow up with those people, how to make sure that those people actually are in front of the people you want referred. There's just a lot of chaos associated with even going out and getting hungry and desperate. And that attention that you're spending on your marketing does tend to drive something in, but nowhere near as quickly as if you had said, what is the fastest, best way for me to drive in the leads that I want? And is the time expenditure that I'm going to lose those hours that I can't spend on legal productive work that I have to do, is that economically worth it for me to spend my time rather than spend my money on something that could drive in leads faster like pay-per-click marketing? So there's just a lot of different I think, assumptions that lawyers make when they're acting out of distress as opposed to really having a strategy. So, and let's see, let's see if we can get the lawyer answer. It depends on this one. Um, when it comes to like, let's say you have the lawyer know, who's sitting there knowing they have a bunch of problems. Do you identify the problems? How do you identify the right problems to address first? Do you work leads to cases? Do you work cases backwards? So you have the fulfillment down? Do you pick the largest problem? Like what's the what's the right methodology there to start? I don't even want to say plugging these holes, but like truly fixing these problems and crushing that chaos. Yeah. So when whenever a lawyer comes into law firm mentor, the first thing we do is a diagnostic on the business, right? So where is the pain actually at? Because sometimes you feel pain in an area because you aren't doing something in another area that can very easily quick, you know, fix that pain. So kind of the perfect example would be if you have too many cases and you're overloaded, but you can't hire somebody because your market is glutted or you don't yet have the revenue that you're going to need consistently to be able to afford a person at the level that's required for the work that you're generating, then that's oftentimes a pricing issue. So we say to people, well, if you could take fewer cases, but make the same, if not more money, would that be a better option for you? And as soon as they realize that, then we start readjusting things and we say, okay, so instead of billing at $300 an hour, you're going to bill at $350 an hour. And that small is going to generate a certain amount of additional revenue. With that additional revenue, you're going to bank that and immediately have the, the funds available to bring in more people. If it doesn't take away enough people, then you can start looking at things like contract labor, right? Is it time for me to get somebody to immediately help me? If there's somebody who can do some support role work, before I get that full-time hire that I need because I haven't quite emotionally invested in the idea of hiring a full-time person or I just don't have the market for it or I'm just not certain it's what I want to do. But there are a lot of different things that people will associate with a certain problem that are not actually that problem. When they are correct that there's a problem, like they see, I don't have enough leads, so I definitely know that I have to have more leads. Usually we can get them more traction just with a sales tweak. So more often than not, if somebody doesn't have enough traction while you're going out and getting more traction, because it doesn't happen instantaneously, right? You don't like press the marketing button and poof, people show up and you know you have a glut of leads. Uh, more often than not, it takes some time. 
while it is taking time, we teach you the sales strategy that's necessary in order to schedule more people through your intake process. So you don't have to spend more money first. You get more people through the door just by getting more of them committing to actually seeing you and teaching you how to actually have a sales conversation that's about the prospect and not about all your degrees and how much law you know and how many people you know. It's really about what the person's driving urgency is to make a buying decision. When you have that kind of qualitative conversation, you convert more people. So it doesn't take a whole lot more in terms of driving more traffic. Before you even get to driving more traffic, you can make more of the traffic that you have. And that solves a problem before you even get to the point of the real problem or the bigger problem, which is the marketing problem. And I always love how you can flick that one. Well, I guess if you flick that one right switch, there's like 500 other decisions that kind of fall behind it that get you back on track. Yeah. And, you know, it is flicking the, the, the one switch, but I also think it's, it's, it's recognizing that you are always going to be in business in a state of flicking switches. <laughs> and that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. They kind of think like, I'm going to get to a point where it's easy and I set it and forget it. Right. So even though I own a multi-million dollar law firm that requires about five to 10 hours of my week, and more often than not, it's in the five hour of a week average uh, monthly, unless we're in a growth spurt like we are right now, we're hiring four people. You know, typically my law firm doesn't take from me, my law firm gives to me. So when I have to give back to it, it's a very, very small investment. But in that scenario, when something goes wrong, I still have to resolve the issue, right? It doesn't, it doesn't magically fix itself because I created a machine. But knowing that I've created a machine allows me to go to the exact right place. So when someone says, hi, our lead flow is down, there's a person in my office that's responsible for monitoring that. And there's a person in my office that's responsible for asking the right questions. And they've been trained on what is the question that you're going to ask? Are we going to our, 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 paid, our paid advertising provider? Are we going to our SEO provider? Are we going to our attorneys to see if they're not having enough uh, networking conversations to drive leads in? Are we going to some other form of, um, of warming traffic up? So in other words, if we didn't get the right placement and the right type of print media, and that's not supporting getting people primed and ready to buy when they come to our door, is that the problem? But a lot of that conversation is based on having a system where you can say, these are the things that you're always going to be evaluating, and you're evaluating them consistently enough that the job of someone is to evaluate the system as they are doing the work. So it's not a matter of, oh, my God, something's wrong. I got to go find somebody to fix it. The person who's doing the work, the work says, hey, it's not working the way it's supposed to. Let me ask the question before we get to catastrophe. And let's repeat that once more for the people in the back. So something goes wrong. It, the immediate result is not your office says, hey, we need to run to Allison to solve this. It's <laughs> we have this system. We have somebody empowered to handle that beforehand or at least investigate it beforehand. And so really, by the time it's coming to you, it's been vetted. There are thoughts already in there. I mean, there's, there's a process that has happened, even when the process doesn't go wrong, to get it to you in the right process. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and every person in my office, by the way, has that as a part of their job description. Right? So we're very intentional when we hire people that we tell them, this is not a job where you come and lawyer, or you come and market, or you come and sell, or you come and organize, or you come in reception, or whatever the role is. You come here to solve problems, and part of your job is to constantly be looking at our system, 
or whatever your role is, constantly be working to improve your system. So if you see something that's not working in the system, you don't just follow orders because we gave it to you. You're here as an innovator, as a thinker, as a strategist, as a problem solver. That, by the way, empowers people to actually do more with their job than simply take orders so that you're not waiting for something to go wrong. Typically, they find it before you find out about it. So usually when I have quarterly meetings with my office administrator, we meet more regularly than that, but we actually stop to have a leadership council meeting once a quarter. And when we do that, I ask what has happened over the past quarter, what are the problems and what are the solutions? And I usually get a report of at least 30 or 40 different things that went wrong that somebody fixed. But I don't know about it because it never gets to the point of crisis where it's grievance level, malpractice level, or finance level, right? So those things are completely off of my plate other than to make sure that I'm checking in periodically just to, you know, for, for purposes of bar compliance and things like that. So it really is when you design a system, it becomes a lifeline of itself, right? So it, before you get to the point of, of having immediate distress, and kind of last year was the perfect example, right, with COVID, you know, all of a sudden people are like, oh my God, the world is shutting down. That means I'm not going to have any leads. And they, they made the assumption first that people were not going to be buying legal services, which is something we did not do. But they also didn't know how to fix it when their lead volume went down. So it was like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I don't have any clients. And that's natural because the world is shutting down. So like, I'm just going to now crawl into a hole and be scared. And we had to pull people out of the hole and say, wait a minute, let's stop. Let's look at where there's a where, where did you have a breakdown? And for the people that knew where their leads came from, you know, how many clicks a day were they getting on their pay-per-click ads? How many times did people visit their websites? How many of those were organic uh, versus driven by some, some point, right? How many points of entry did they have to their website? Which pages were they on? How long were they staying? If you had that stat before and now you have that stat and it's changing, there are things that you can specifically do to affect the thing that matters. But if you're trying to change everything all at once, because you don't know where the problem is, because you haven't asked the right questions as a matter of course, then typically what happens is you start changing a lot of things and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't work, you try to change a whole bunch of other things and you start fixing things that weren't broken in the first place and then you break things that were working well. So it's a real struggle for people to understand the nature of a system beyond systematizing your law work, right? Most of us say, yeah, we got to meet our statutes of limitations and we got to make sure we file things on time. We definitely got to keep our clients happy. We got to respond to people. Most of us get that, but we don't get how critically important it is to get the consistency in all the other areas of business in order that we don't have that distress point when money goes down, people change, when people get, get hired or fired, when, you know, when there's a change to some law or some procedure or some structure. And the beauty of it is so much of what you're talking about really is the system for the system. You know, it's, it's who is empowered to be in charge of this system. What happens if the system goes wrong and how do we make the tweaks to have the system go right so that you're not just constantly triaging problems, you're fixing your, your system to not have those problems come back up again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing of it is, is that I think a lot of people hear that and they get scared and they think, oh my God, this is, this is such a big job. Like, I'm going to be doing the legal work and I'm going to be creating a system and I'm going to be tweaking a system and I'm going to be monitoring a system like the systems itself is a, it's a full time job. But the way that I tell people and teach people this process is what you're actually doing is you're creating a systemic way of doing things. Right. So once you have your system built, 
it's a matter of working the system and to be always on the lookout for if something's not working the way it should, that's a systems problem. Universally, it's a systems problem. What in the system is not being followed? What in the system no longer works? What in the system needs to be improved in some way? And if you're looking at what you're doing from that lens, it becomes a lot easier to fix it as soon as it happens. And sometimes you're self-correcting even before you, you realize it. Like think about the plane that goes up in the air and has to do that course correction, right? You know, as soon as there's a couple of centimeters off, we don't immediately shift the plane. We, we see that if it's going to correct on its own. And if it doesn't, we then say, okay, time to make a little adjustment. And you're constantly adjusting. And those constant adjustments ultimately become the reiteration of a system when someone says, yeah, you know, it really works better for us to do it this way. Let's try a, you know, a test run because I always say test your broken system before you fix it uh, in a way that's going to cause more chaos in your business. But you test, you test the little tweaks and then those tweaks become your new system and all's right with the world. I mean, and the beauty is really you're building a system for that tipping point where it goes from being more work for you to get the system in place to at the end result of that tipping point, having it be less responsibility on you because you've got people in charge of other parts in the system because it's easier to hire people. They know what they're supposed to do. They know what they're supposed to track. They know what they're you know being graded on or, or whatever, evaluated on. Um, and so you get in the position of you know five to 10 hours a week as opposed to being the 60 to 90 hour a week attorney for the rest of your life. Yeah, but I want to be clear about something because the way that you just said that, Jordan, I want to make sure that everybody doesn't hear um, anything that suggests that the goal is to dump all your work off on other people. So there are some lawyers that absolutely love lawyering. They want to be in a courtroom. They want to be negotiating deals. They want to be meeting with clients. So you don't have to have an aim of not working in your business in the legal realm. And you don't have to have an aim for your business that you're only going to work five to 10 hours a week. You just have to have a goal. Right. So the goal has to be this is how much I'm going to work. This is how much money I'm going to make. And then you engineer everything around that. Now, once you've done that, the beautiful thing becomes you can say everyone is going to have a highly systematized job, not just the CEO, so that when everyone has a highly systematized job, it's less chaos for everyone. Right. Everyone knows instinctually what to do. Everyone is doing crisis management before crises occur. And I hear the shock of, of this from probably family law attorneys the most, because as a practicing family law attorney for 18 years, I had a practice that was driven very much by emergency. And the subset of the family, the family part that I spent my time on was the child abuse and neglect part. So if someone's child was removed and placed into foster care, I could get a call on Monday afternoon and be told, hey, the, the state took my child and I want them back. Can you go to court tomorrow at 9 a.m. for trial? And my answer would always be yes, if I could fit it into my schedule. So I would show up with no discovery, no complaint, no documents, no knowledge other than what my client alleged has happened. And then I would go and I would get usually two or three inches of paper that I would have the right to skim for 10 or 15 minutes before I would go on the record and have a trial. And I had a very high success rate because you get very quick in, in learning that that notion that we're told never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Well, you don't have that option when you're in child abuse and neglect court, right? You just have to go where the energy is taking you. And so I learned very quickly through that process and as stressful as it is, it also is very rewarding when you learn how to do it, that there's always a way to iterate from something that goes wrong, right? So if I ask a question and I get an answer that sucks for my clients, I just keep asking questions until I get to the right place. And I say, okay, they're going over here. So now we need to go over here. 
right? It's the same thing in business. What you're really doing is you're creating a pathway. You're creating a way of being that says, as soon as something's going wrong, we iterate and we go in a different direction. And when you have that baked into everything, it just makes life so much easier for everyone. And you are 100% correct. I, I, the way that I phrase it did make it seem like they have to be going towards what you've been able to build, but you are right. It, it should be it should be going towards you having the freedom to have the job you really want instead of being forced to be wearing 10 million hats and doing everything. Right. And some people want to wear the hat of managing the money and writing the checks and that's it. And some people want to wear the hat of being the full service manager. So they want to be managing the people, managing the systems, managing the money. And some people want to just be in the courtroom. They don't want to manage anything other than their their law practice, right? So the, the beautiful thing is that if you plan it appropriately, you can have whatever it is that you desire in terms of what your life is going to look like. But I don't think a lot of lawyers believe that, right? So they believe this idea that there are certain things that are inherent in the law. In fact, just the other day, I was I was in a Facebook group where a series of lawyers were talking about the practice that they wanted to escape. And it just kind of devolved into everyone saying, oh, yeah, this is awful. It's, it's nothing but crises after crises after crises. I, I'm putting out fires all, all the time. The clients run me crazy. And I remember when I, when I had an active load of about 40 to 50 family law clients at a time. And I would handle these cases all over the state of New Jersey. And I had rules for my clients. And I was very clear. Like, if you get the privilege of working with me, this is how it's going to work. It's not going to work that you call me at all hours and expect that I'm going to drop everything for you because when I'm in court getting your child out of foster care, somebody else is not getting a phone call, right? So similarly, I want you to respect that when I drop everything for you, I'm all about you. And when I'm dropping everything for another person, I'm all about them. So you have a turn. Now, your turn is always going to be respected. You're always going to get your turn. You're not going to be ignored. But you're not going to have me as your whoopee, your friend, your you know, the person that you call when pick up and drop off went wrong at 530 versus, you know, 545 or whatever it is that you're upset about. I understand you're upset. You'll get my empathy. You'll get my ear, but you're going to get my ear on my schedule. Right. And you create these rules. And I think a lot of lawyers just don't believe that they can actually create rules that clients will follow. But when you have an energy with your practice that says, client, I am here to steer you to the outcome that you want. So we're always going to direct our attention back to the outcome that you want. The way we get you there is by these specific steps. You follow these rules so that we have the greatest likelihood of getting you to the best outcome possible for you. And if the client doesn't respect that, there is something in not just who they are as a person, but also in how you are communicating it to them and, and whether or not you're going to enforce it. And so there are so many lawyers that just have that fear that as soon as they tell a client no to anything, client calls, I don't respond, I'm going to lose the client, I'm going to be broke tomorrow. I'm going to have to go move at home, <laughs> move back home with mom and dad. And of course, that's not true. But that fear kind of shackles us to the idea that we have to kind of let people run us instead of we run our businesses. Well, and and honestly, like you will lose clients over that, but that's not the worst outcome. For many of them, I think the outcome is keeping them as clients because they're not going to respect your rules, your system, your office, your staff, your bar card, you know, but whatever it is. Yeah, but here's the thing, Jordan. Ironically, I've never lost a client over enforcing my rules. I've never I, I've never lost a client over enforcing my rules. I've lost clients who are unreasonable and don't want, you know, that don't want to do whatever the court is required, whatever the law is required, whatever they're they're instructed to do. But I set my rules before there's a problem. 
And that's the major difference. So it's it's one thing for, and I've seen a lot of lawyers do this too. They kind of like, they get fed up and they say, oh my God, this is awful. I can't do this anymore. I'm telling my client tomorrow, no, you can't call me at three o'clock in the morning. I'm not taking the next 3 a.m. phone call. Well, here's the thing. If you've educated the person over six months of their life while they're in distress, that the way that they get a relief of that distress is to call you at 3 a.m. and you answer, then you're changing the rules of the relationship, right? So that is somewhat of a violation of your implicit contract with the person. The person has gotten educated on how to deal with you and you're taking that away. That's not what I would do. I would always start the relationship with, here's our written communications policy. Here's when you can expect to hear from your from us. You know, you call our office. You don't call and get a lawyer on the phone when you want us. You call, you tell us what the nature of the problem is. The paralegal assesses that problem. There is a, a troubleshooting, if you will. If it requires a lawyer, you're scheduled during that lawyer's office hours. And those office hours are set on the calendar. You will always have a time during that same week that you're able to speak to the lawyer, but this is the way it works. And the beauty of this is when they get on the phone, they're prepared for you. They have an answer for you. They can address your concern immediately. And this helps us serve you better. And if you don't want to be served better, you can go somewhere else. And when someone hears that, they think, well, of course I want to be served better, right? Of course I want to have the, the outcome be more likely for me that I'm going to get what I want. So when you, when you couch it as a win-win, the person buys into it. Now, human instinct is what it is, right? They're used to, when I have a problem, I, I pick up the phone, right? So when someone first deviates from that policy, the redirection happens at the very first moment. Okay, as a reminder, this is how our communication policy works. And as a reminder, here's what you get out of it. You are going to receive your undivided attention by your lawyer when you call you are gonna receive someone having already troubleshooted your problem so that you're not spending the most money on the most expensive person on the legal team. You're getting it at a less expensive fee and you're getting it faster. This is the way that it works so that we can serve you better. The person then hears, this is about me. I'm getting what I want. This is not about the lawyer not wanting to talk to me, not wanting to be bothered, not prioritizing me, right? So it's all in the way that you package it. And when you package it in a certain way, as a part of a system, your clients will respect that. So I wanna shift slightly. Um, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, the systems in general, we've talked about some of the fulfillment, the client interaction type systems. Are there, are there parts or problems that you see law firms consistently having more than others, or is there a consistent, or is it inconsistent in the problems that you see being the real true biggest issue that law firm owners struggle with? Well, so there's there's a couple of different parts there. So you asked the question about law firms and you, you referenced also law firm owners. And so everything in my view happens as a result of the law firm owner, right? So we are the cause, we are the first and, uh, and the last cause of everything that happens in our business. So almost invariably, if something is not going well in the business, it is because of the approach of the lawyer, how they are looking at the problem, how they are attempting to solve the problem, and what they are putting in the place of their activity in order to do that. So if we start there and we look at what's going on with the lawyer, about 80% of the problems that you'll find in a law firm can be very easily solved by a shift in the mindset of the owner. Now, that remaining 20% is strategy, strategy and tactic, right? So that's where most lawyers spend most of their time, right? They go, they go online and they say, hey, does anybody have a sticky widget for how I fix my practice management software? Or does anybody know how I can hire the best employees or someone who I can pay to do that for me? And so they want a very quick answer 
And there are a lot of very reputable, very valuable services that do that. So I'm not in any way saying those services aren't warranted, but solving the problem of that one thing is problematic because if you don't solve the system, if you don't create a system and sustain a system that is going to prevent the problem from happening again, then as soon as that employee goes out on maternity leave or quits to move across the country with their spouse or decides that they want to practice in a different area of law or don't, or don't want to practice at all, all of a sudden you have the same problem over again because you didn't fix the problem. You kind of just masked over the symptoms with some medicine for the moment. So it's really important that people are not just hitting uh, the problem of the day and thinking that that's going to solve the business of their law firm. They really have to be more expansive in looking at how all of the problems are inter interconnected. Now, in terms of the actual problems, there are four that I help lawyers with because these are the four that I see consistently and reliably happen at all sides of business, whether you are just starting out and you made your first $20,000 or you have a five, 10, $20 million law firm. They always boil down to marketing and sales. There's not enough money. You need to be marketing and selling more or people and systems. If you don't have enough free time, you don't have the right people doing the right things in the right way, and they're not being managed and led appropriately pursuant to a system. So if you solve the ecosystem of those four areas, you're going to get a fundamentally better business that is going to reward you with the time and the money that you desire. So sales, marketing, people, systems? Those are the four. That's awesome. And it, it and my lawyer brain is like, how do I pick at this? But really everything does come back to those four things. And that like, that is such a simple way to phrase it, but like in a really good way. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, I've never met a lawyer that doesn't want more money, more free time or, or both. Right. So we know that more money comes in through marketing and sales. And we know that free time comes from people and systems. So if you optimize your marketing sales, people and systems, your business will get better. Now, to get to what you want, right, because you can have something better than you have and not necessarily have what you want. So to actually get what you want, you actually have to be forward thinking. You have to say, what is it that I want? And you have to be willing to put that down and hold firm to that and never leave it. And by never leave it, I mean when the employees are not acting right, right? When you have somebody who walks in drunk to work, when you have somebody, you know, a, a hostile client that threatens to sue you, files a grievance, goes on Googles and bashes you, everything is going wrong in your world, you still have to hold firm to that vision. And that's probably the greatest risk that I see for law firm owners, that they decide what they want, they get all excited about it, they're pursuing it with gusto, and then when the problems come, they immediately say, all right, that's too hard, I'm done, it'll be easier for me to stay small, I don't want to hire anybody because it's too much of a headache, I don't want to have a system for, for how I do everything in my business, it takes too much time, I'm just going to practice law, and I know how to do that well enough with my caseload of 30 to 40 clients. And that supports me, maybe a part-time associate and a secretary. And that's all I need, right? That's all I need. I'll just be anti-capitalist. I'll be anti-money. And I won't create anything more for myself. Or I'll get my money somewhere else. I'll invest in the real estate market. Or I'll have a side gig. Or I'll get my money from my spouse. Or I'll inherit my money. And they don't recognize that... For some people, it's perfectly fine that your value and your drive in life is not in your business. But the practice of law is not the type of area, that it's not the type of career that you can have and half-ass it, right? You can't be somewhat of a lawyer because there are too many ethical responsibilities and legal responsibilities and ramifications on you if you screw something up. You are dealing with people's lives. 
So if you're going to do it on a smaller scale, that is one thing. But if you are restricting your business and saying, I'm not going to grow, there's inherent problems with that because there is a necessity of growing. So when I talk about the necessity of growth, we're really talking about the fact that if you're going to attract someone to work in your business, that person is going to expect that as the cost of living goes up, their income is going to go up. Well, how is their income going to go up if your business is flatlined at $250,000 a year? How are they going to have more opportunities to cultivate whatever their skill is in life, whatever their enjoyment is in life, right? My receptionist loves answering the phone. She loves being with people. She loves greeting people and having that nuance of every time a document comes in, I have to assess it appropriately and I have to scan it and I have to get it on the calendar. Some people would be absolutely nuts if they had to do that for a living, but this is what she loves to do. And so I see it as a responsibility of the owner to make sure that even with a role like that, you are still looking for ways the person gets the optimal performance and the optimal enjoyment out of that role or else you'll lose people. And then your culture is going to be constantly changing because your people are going to be constantly changing. That is, I've never heard it phrased that way, but that makes so, so, so much sense that like you have to, you have to grow or you have a duty to your employees and yourself to grow so that you have a larger pie so that everybody can get, you know, more themselves um, as opposed to just constantly having it come out of your pocket to keep giving, you know, salary increases to the employees. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably the, the one area that lawyers don't really think about from a people perspective. It's not just compensating the people more, but it's compensating you less every time you compensate someone more unless there's more available for everyone. You know, because your taxes may or may not go up, right? Depending on which administration, which bill gets passed, how the IRC is going to change, you never know what there is going to be there, right? And your vendors are going to want more year after year. They're going to charge you more because their costs are going to go up. And the people that you interact with, your clients, your clients are going to have their own economic circumstances that you're going to be facing with. So there's a large economic plane that we all have to consider. But there's also considering that the more you develop people, the better and more stable your business is. And developing people also has a cost. You know, there's a cost to going to a lot of CLEs. There's a cost to going to business development courses. There's a cost to taking time out of the business for retreats where you're not actually producing money, but you're sitting and you're working together on the business and the vision of the business. So you're going in the same direction. All that costs money. And I think a lot of people kind of have an idea that if I have the small little business and it's just me, my part-time person, and you know maybe a contract person that comes in periodically to help me put away files, I don't have a business. But the reality is you have a business as soon as you are a lawyer that owns an entity that is in the business of delivering legal services. So you need to make sure that you're not just optimizing that for your own personal gain, which a lot of people don't even prioritize that, but you need to optimize it for the gain of everyone around you or else your clients are at some point in time going to feel that resentment that you're going to have seeping in because you're taking the money that you're working hard for those 40, 50, 60 hour weeks and you're giving it to someone else who has a lesser role in the business than you do. And it's interesting because there's also the non-financial, like to, to take what you said a little bit earlier and tie to this, there's also that non-financial component of it. You know, when you make that first hire, they're probably realistically doing like five or six different jobs as well. And then the more that you grow and bring people on, the more you can specialize each of those positions to allow them to be better, to allow you to find the right skills, to allow them to be more fulfilled at the job, to allow you the entire company, the more flexibility and freedom to attend the retreats or provide better insight at those meetings and whatnot. Um, and so there's, 
there's that benefit as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's I think that's an excellent point that you raise about the idea of customization, because you're right. When you hire that first administrative person, that person is part time receptionist, part time intake person, part time marketer, part time um, file clerk. And they're kind of helping out everywhere. But as soon as you start putting your money and your attention into that person to generate more profit off of what they do, because every role has a profit point, right? So if you just look at the labor efficiency rate of every single person that's in your business, they are making some multiple, or they should be making some multiple of what you pay them in revenue to your business. So if you get that revenue, that labor efficiency rate actually dialed in, and you attach it to every role in the business, you can faster get to a place where you can hire out the next portion of one person's role so that that person isn't distressed. Because none of us are our best when we are playing five different jobs over the course of a day, right? Because our attention can only spread so far. So as we get towards the end here, I want to make sure we have the right contact information because obviously there's, there is so much wisdom and insight that you've shared in this you know, 40 minutes or so. Um, so we've got the Law Firm Mentor Facebook page. We've got the Law Firm Mentor website. We've got your uh, the podcast link. We've got the LinkedIn link. Um, is there are there any other links or points of contact we want to make sure people have so they can stay in touch with you? Yeah. So I would just uh, offer up to people that if you are somebody, if you own a law firm and you have any questions whatsoever about how to create a systems culture, a systems culture that's going to allow you to have consistent recurring revenue and that's going to take you out of that chaos feeling that everything is being done kind of haphazardly and everything's ultimately on your plate and in your mind and taking up your time and energy, then I have created a free masterclass. You can find it at lawfirmmentor.net forward slash masterclass. And the masterclass runs from May 10th to May 18th. It's absolutely free. It's one hour a day that we actually walk you through the process of creating systems in a law firm. And not just that, but actually inculcating those systems into your team so that your team starts to function and starts to see some of those things that we've been talking about today, how to get to that right next move and to do it almost instantaneously so that a problem doesn't become a crisis and you're problem solving all the time through other people so that you as the owner can have that more money and more free time that we all so much desire. Eight day masterclass for free. Absolutely. Wow. All right. We'll make sure, uh, Breezy, did you get that in the comments? All right, cool. It's coming in. Awesome. All right. So um, anything else, any other topics or insight you want to make sure that we cover as we get towards the end? Well, I think we covered a lot here today, Jordan. I just want to leave everyone with a final thought. So I know a lot of solo and small law firm attorneys, they get really, really scared about the idea of making changes in business. They think, you know, I'm where I am right now and it might not be great, but I, at least I feel familiar with it. I feel comfortable with it. I can make that, I can, I can stay where I am. And then they want to make a change and they start baby stepping. The worst thing that you can do is baby step your way into your future. The problem is it takes a lot more energy for you to move your foot only one inch than to pick it up and move a foot ahead. Just think about that for a moment. A lot more muscle energy goes into that. A lot more constriction goes into that. You use more of your body when you are only baby stepping ahead. And what tends to happen is you get tired before you get to the finish line, so you don't ever get to the finish line. So we actually help you here at Law Firm Mentor with getting to the finish line and getting there faster in a way that retains your profit and creates more free time as you are going to whatever your goal is. So I just want to leave people with the idea that that is absolutely possible 
We help lawyers all across the country do that right now. We are in currently in 26 states and growing. So I welcome you to learn more about Law Firm Mentor at lawfirmmentor.net. And as referenced earlier on our Facebook page and in our Facebook groups, you can always get free information about how we work with clients and how we help people to systematize their businesses and get more money and more free time. Awesome. <clears throat> All right. So before I let you go, um, our next episode will be airing on Monday at 1.30 Eastern time with Elizabeth Pickle, who's going to share with us how you find your voice in a profession that wants you to follow a checklist. So for any of you not already following Elizabeth Pickle, she has an awesome TikTok presence and Facebook where she talks about trademarks and um, estate planning in a really cool and awesome way. So we're going to hear a lot more wisdom and insight from her Monday at 1.30, but I'm not going to let you go. Law firm mentor, Allison Williams, without that one final, the diamond nugget uh, if somebody's been listening to this now for about 50 minutes and takes nothing away except what you share now, what is your biggest piece of advice, the most important takeaway, the easiest thing for them to become the exhibit A of a successful attorney? So the answer to that question is really simple. It's a very simple phrase. In order to move from where you are, you must move from where you are. I love it. You just have this awesome way of like distilling down these great concepts into just such a, an ingestible manner um, and really making it seem not as overwhelming because I think you're, you're dead on with that being something that I think so many law firm owners struggle with. Well, thank you for that, Jordan. And thank you for having me on the show. I had a lot of fun talking to you as always. It's, a, it's always a great honor when I get to be in your presence because I just think you're such a stand-up guy. I feel the same way about you, not about me, but... Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.